Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, book lovers. My name is Em, and I want to talk about books. And cats. book lovers. So the podcast is officially a year old, and it has been a truly amazing year. I am so excited about everything that I have managed to accomplish this year, and I am so excited for what is to come. Coming up really soon, next week, I have another special episode, another interview, and I am hoping to talk to even more people about books in the coming year, as well as all the other books and cats stuff. So stay tuned. Today I want to talk about the book The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. I really hope I'm not butchering her last name. I have no idea how to pronounce it. (laughs) So this is another romance book, but somehow it also falls into the category of books that I keep choosing that are hitting a little too close to home. Um, This one was advertised as a standard romance novel, but there were lots of family layers and mental health layers that were unexpected and honestly way too close to what I'm going through right now. (laughs) But it made me love this book even more. This is also my second romance book recently that has a main male character that's in martial arts. I mean, I get why, but is this like a new trend? Or has this been going on for a while? I'm not really up on the romance novel world, so I'm not sure. And this is the second one in a row. (laughs) Maybe it's just because martial arts are more popular and mainstream at this point. I don't know. There is something very comforting about the standard format and rhythm of a romance novel. This one has all the key characters and plot points, but it is definitely different than other romance novels. The characters had a little more depth to begin with. The male character, Quan, is rebellious, attractive, he's a damaged guy, but he's also post-cancer and had a testicle removed. And I found it really interesting to see his character's weaknesses, insecurities, and body issues. That's not something you normally get from the male characters, so I thought that was really interesting. It gave him a much softer side that didn't feel as forced as some of the male characters in romance novels. There really is a lot more to this book, or maybe it just hit so close that I connected to it more than most romance books, but the main characters really seem to have a lot more depth and growth throughout the book, And very little of it had to do with the guy. That's what I found interesting. Because usually it is, girl is hurt, girl finds man, man makes her feel again, and like, yay, he's the hero. And this really kept the focus on Anna, the main character, and her growth and her issues. And while she was helped by Quan, he wasn't what saved her. She saved herself. So I want to get into this story a little more, Um, so I'm going to put a spoiler warning here. If you want to read this book and you don't want to hear about it in detail, please skip ahead to after the ad break. Okay, 
So this book revolves around Anna's father. Anna's the main character, but the book is separated into three parts, and they're all based on her father. There's before, which is Anna's relationship with her family, her crappy boyfriend in the beginning, and her relationship with her dad before he has a stroke. Then there's during, which is during his home care that is forced on Anna to her great mental detriment by her overbearing sister Priscilla. Priscilla believes only family should care for him and therefore forces Anna to drop everything and move back into the house and help care for him 24-7. Anna is on the autism spectrum, and being forced to care for a shell of the man she adored is painful. And she senses that he doesn't want to be forced to continue. But Priscilla will hear none of it. Like, none of it. She won't hear anything about her father, and she also won't accept Anna's diagnosis. She is constantly nagging her sister for not being like her or not doing things right and thinks that she has the right to treat Anna however she wants because Anna's not doing things the way that she should do them. So after a major blowout, Anna flees her parents' home and has a major breakdown. So at this point, she's already met Quan. She has dumped her loser boyfriend, which thankfully, I'm so glad that they get him out of the picture really fast. And the major blowout actually also has to do with Quan because her family kind of tricks her into getting engaged to the other guy, and then she actually stands up for herself just once, and that's not cool. So, huge blow up, and she flees her parents' house and ends up having a major breakdown. So then we get to the final section. Anna's father passes, and it sends her spiraling. She goes home to offer help and is verbally attacked by her sister, who, like I said, feels that as family, she can tear Anna apart and not bother to apologize. She makes Anna apologize, but Priscilla refuses. She also refuses the autism diagnosis still. This was honestly a very painful part of the book, but again, maybe just too close to home. Um, if you had a kind, supportive family, maybe it wouldn't make you sob like it did me. Or maybe it would. I don't know. Through all of this, Anna has the support and kindness of Quan to lean on. He has experience with people on the spectrum and knows how to love her the way she needs. Still, this is not magic, and Anna still struggles for a long time. The constant caregiving overwhelmed her, and she began to have suicidal ideation, which luckily she confessed to Quan. There was a major focus on caregiver burnout. It's very, very real, but people put themselves into this situation all the time, or are forced into it. And the effects of this constant stress and pain has a major effect on the caregiver. It's not talked about very often because you're supposed to be willing to give and be selfless, but you're still a human being, and it's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And I believe a lot of caregivers do have issues with suicide, or at least suicidal thoughts, because it's just overwhelming. So then we have Anna's mother, who has never been very kind to Anna in the past. She kind of falls into the Priscilla camp of Anna's weird and different, can't do anything right. But she comes around at the end and tries to understand what makes her daughter different. And she's learning to accept her as she is autism and all. Again, no idea what this is like, but the moment her mom came to visit and tried to understand was painful. 
I'm sure it was meant to be beautiful, and it was, but it was a sucker punch for me. (laughs) Anna does begin to heal at the end of the book. She has a relationship with her mom, and she has Quan. She doesn't make up with her sister, but she also doesn't fully blame herself, and she sets boundaries with how she will be spoken to. She's growing and healing, at least beginning to, and the end is very hopeful. I really loved this book. More than I thought I would, honestly. Normally, I view romance novels as kind of an easy read, like candy reading is what I call it. You know, nothing that you have to think too hard about. And this one, this one took me by surprise. It made me think and it made me sob. (laughs) It just felt like it was kind of written for me. Have you ever had a book that felt that way? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Is it just me? Anyway, it was just beautiful. And I will be reading more books by Helen Huang. And I suggest you do, too. Start with this one, The Heart Principle. It's fantastic. And now we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with cats, quotes, and a new chapter of Heart of the Storm. Hey, book lovers. Did you know that you can get feelers on Audible? If you missed the story that started off Storytime with M, you can check it out now, and it'll only cost you a credit. Pretty good. So check out feelers today. And remember... Different can be dangerous. And we're back, book lovers. All right, so I found some more cat lore, and I don't think I've covered this one yet. It sounds a lot like another one, so at first I thought they were the same, but this one's different. (laughs) Today I want to talk about Cat Sith. I think that's how you say it. It makes me think of Star Wars. It's great. It's ancient Scottish and Irish folklore that an oversized black cat with a trademark white patch on its chest skulks around at night looking for souls to steal. At wakes and funerals to protect the poor deceased soul from the wily cat Sith, various distractions are supplied to deter or distract it, such as catnip or loud music. The fire was also never burned in a room with a corpse, since every cat loves to curl up by a warm fireplace. The spectral cat isn't huge, as some of the other ones found in folktales, It's about the size of a dog, and it's secretly a witch who can turn into a cat but can only do it nine times. Upon the last transformation, she is stuck as a cat forever. The cat Sith wasn't all bad, though. Each year, on the Gaelic festival of Samhain, I think that's how you say it, saucers of milk were left outside for her, and she'd bless the houses in return. However, if you didn't leave a saucer of milk for the sorceress, you'd be cursed and all of your cow's milk would dry up which seems fair. You can give her a saucer full of milk, right? (laughs) So that is the story of Cat Sith. I love to picture like a cat dressed up as a Sith Lord. That makes me laugh. If there is a picture of that, can someone send it to me? Because I would love to see that. (laughs) Okay, so now it's time for the quotes of the week. Yes, it's more than one, almost always. (laughs) In honor of the heart principle, I decided to go with quotes about love. And they're kind of all over the place, but I really like them. The first one is from Wayne Dyer, and it is, Loving people live in a loving world. Hostile people live in a hostile world. Same world. That one's really about mindset, too, but it kind of really fits in with the heart principle. And just my life at the moment. (laughs) And I think that's a good thing to think about, is that you really make your environment. Whatever you are thinking in your head, 
if it's always negative, then you're going to have negative experiences and you're going to you're going to view the world negatively. And if you can turn it around and live with love and try to look at the world lovingly, the world will love you back. I really believe that to be true. So far, that seems to be how it's working. (laughs) The next quote is from Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. If I had a flower for every time I thought of you, I could walk in my garden forever. I just thought that was beautiful. And then finally, the last quote is from Ernest Hemingway. It's kind of a weird quote by itself, but it's one that I have always loved. It's from one of my favorites of his books, and he was my favorite author in high school. So I've read most of them. (laughs) But this is, We ate well and cheaply, and drank well and cheaply, and slept well and warm together, and loved each other. So those are my quotes of the week. And now it is time for a new chapter of Heart of the Storm. We're up to chapter 33. Can you believe it? If you're new to the podcast, this is my weekly writing project where I share a chapter a week uh, straight from my brain, no editing, first draft. So things might not always line up. I don't even remember where this book began, honestly. We're so far into it now. But anyway, I hope you enjoy chapter 33 of Heart of the Storm. Kevo was floating on an underwater current. His head was cradled in a large leaf, and a spray of bubbles supported his body. His hands floated out at his sides and rippled with the current. He felt something brush his hand, delicate fingers interlaced with his large, clumsy paws, and the pretty girl floating beside him smiled. Her long, blonde hair flowed out behind her. Her pale green skin glittered in the bright, sparkly light around them. She wasn't Nim, but they looked similar. This girl was even more beautiful and Kevo was happy that the rush of water around them was too loud for talking. Just looking at her made him feel tongue-tied and nervous. The blue lights danced around them as they moved along the current. Kevo smiled, closed his eyes, and tried to relax. He felt the girl squeeze his hand. Her nails dug into the flesh of his. It became uncomfortable, and he tried to pull his hand away. She held on, and the pain grew worse. Her nails seemed to grow— He wrenched his eyes open, and the trails of bright red blood flowed from the cuts on his hand. When he turned to face her, she was smiling serenely. Then she squeezed even harder. Lazal and Nim stood on the shore of the river. They stood shoulder to shoulder, not speaking, and staring into the swift-moving current. I don't like this, Lazal said after a long moment. Nim sighed and rolled her eyes. So you've said. This was part of the deal. Talk to Maz if you want to complain. He wasn't one of us. He'd just be in the way. Lizalt pressed his lips together and didn't reply. The water churned at their feet. The bubbles took on a pinkish hue. He turned away. Nim splashed him and laughed as he stumbled and fell onto the stones. He scrambled back and tore his hand open on a sharp rock. Nim laughed. Take it easy, cousin. Everything is going according to plan. Lizalt got to his feet and wiped his bleeding palm on his shirt. I didn't expect to like him. Nim wrapped a strand of her long, wavy hair around her thin finger. Her nails were pointed and filed sharp. They were polished dark blue and shimmery. He was cute. Not really my type, though. Lizalt glared at her. We could have left him alone. Nim laughed and shook her head. 
The sound was musical. She walked along the river's edge for a bit, never turning to see if Lizalt followed. She knew he did. She climbed the steep embankment. The grass was soft and cool beneath her bare feet. Nim skipped happily. She had never felt so light. It had finally begun. She'd been waiting for so long. Lizalt trudged along behind her. He had a bad feeling. It was not just his betrayal of Kevo. Something was wrong. He had never liked Maz. They were always scheming, always looking for an angle. Maz never helped without making sure they got something in return. Lizalt felt uneasy whenever they were around. It was the same feeling he had now. Nim knew Lizalt was upset, but she didn't have time for emotions right now. She was sorry about his friend, but he was a commoner and of no use to them. He was an unnecessary loose end. Better he stayed in the endless river. Cerise would keep him company. Her sister was much more charming than Nim. She had endless patience and good cheer. Kevo probably wouldn't even notice he was trapped. Nim skipped across the open field. The sound of the river was faint now, and when she turned, it was hidden from view. It made her heart skip a beat to be that far from the water. She felt giddy and lightheaded in the bright sunlight. Lizalt was glaring at her. He was a dark cloud over her excitement, but she didn't pay him much attention. He'd been her protector for years. Maz had introduced them on her thirteenth birthday. Lizalt was a gift as well as a project. He was charged with keeping her safe and she was told to watch him, keep him busy, distracted. It had worked until now. Kevo had been the turning point. Some things could not be covered up and erased. She could really use Cerise's help right now. Lazalt had been in love with her sister for years. Nim was the child of a different man. Her mother had pretended otherwise, but Maz told her the truth. Maz told her everything. They had come to the river realm after her mother died. Maz taught her the lore of the valley, the family history, their magical bloodline. The reign of her people, the river people, over the rest. Maz had promised Nim to return her family's power. When this was all over, they would rule together. Air, land, and water. They would control it all. Okay, she said, turning back to Lazalt. You have to carry me from here. It'll go faster. Like we practiced, okay? He nodded grimly. Nim felt a wave of irritation. She didn't like this new, stoic Lazalt. He was absolutely no fun. What good was taking over the valley if they couldn't enjoy it? Lazalt scooped her up and took off. He flew fast and erratically. Nim clung to him and kept her eyes squeezed shut. They had taken several practice flights, but she would never get used to being so far above the ground. He made short work of the flight. Nim forced her eyes open when she heard the grinding. The entire mountaintop was opening up like a gaping maw beneath her. Ready? Lazalt shouted over the noise. In addition to the grinding stone, the air was filled with the flapping of hundreds of wings. Nim bit her lip and nodded. She squeezed her eyes shut. Then Lazalt let go. Her long, pale gold hair fluttered above her like a flag as she fell. The wind roared around her, and the world plunged into darkness as she entered the top of the mountain. Small hands grabbed at her. They pinched her skin and pulled her hair, giggling the whole time, but they did slow her fall. Finally, she rested amongst them, held aloft by dozens of hands and fluttering wings.
They lowered her gently. Nim was thrilled to feel her feet touch solid ground. The sea of giggling cherubs parted to let Nim pass. In the center of the great room stood a tall figure cloaked in yellows and golds. Nim walked confidently, but inside she was trembling with fear. The figure turned, and Nim's step faltered just a little. Rhea's skin was a reddish gold and glittered with her languid, graceful movements. Her honey-brown eyes found Nim's, and a slow smile spread across her face. Nim forced herself to continue moving toward her cousin. Maz's true child was immensely powerful and incredibly cruel. Aside only Nim saw. To Maz and all the others, Rhea was a calm, even-tempered enchantress. Maz had big plans for her. Nim and Rhea had known each other since childhood. Her mother had been wiped out with most of the river dwellers, and Maz brought the remaining few to a safe place inside the mountains. Maz chose Nim to be her daughter's friend, and Nim was unable to refuse. She owed Maz her life. Rhea knew this, and right from the start she became Nim's tormentor. Her smile made Nim's knees shake, but she forced herself to move forward and embrace Rhea. She forced her lips into a smile and tried to steady her heartbeat. Hello, Nim, Rhea said with a bit of a sneer. She always said her name like that. Content just dripped from her words. Nim could feel the others turning against her. The little ones were mindless drones anyway, tiny fragments of Rhea cloned from her very cells. Their hatred for Nim was buried deep in their DNA. You've got no friends here, cousin, Rhea continued. Maz called for me, Nim said softly. It's time. Rhea smiled even wider. You are right about one thing. It is time. But Maz did not call you. They're on their way to the palace right now. I called you, and you came, just like you always do. Nim could feel the little ones around her becoming agitated. Rhea took a step toward Nim, and her minions moved in closer. Come with me. We will speak in private. She waved her hands and the flybits backed off. They still hovered nearby, giggling, but also eyeing Nim warily. Something wasn't right. The whole atmosphere had changed. Nim didn't move immediately, and she felt little hands shove her from behind. She fell forward and Rhea caught her. Steam seeped from under her fingers, and Nim's skin grew painfully hot under her touch. She released Nim so quickly she almost fell again, but this time she stayed on her feet and stumbled after her sparkling cousin. The hallway was a narrow passage carved in the stone of the mountain. The ceiling was low, and Nim felt ill the deeper they went. Claustrophobia was closing in, and she wanted to turn and run back to the wide-open cavern full of flybits. She turned and looked over her shoulder. The faint light at the end of the corridor was mostly blocked by small hovering bodies. Their eyes glowed in the darkness, and Nim could feel the malice in their stares. Suddenly the confined, narrow space seemed like the preferable option. She quickened her pace until she caught up with Rhea. They turned a sudden corner, and the new hall was slightly more open and lit with floating balls of fire. Rhea moved her hand and made them dance. Nim was transfixed. How'd you do that? She hadn't meant to ask that. Nim had seen plenty of magic in her life, but fire magic was something wholly new to her. And she found it both thrilling and terrifying. Rhea smiled. Nim wasn't sure because of the swirling lights, but her cousin's smile seemed warmer than before. 
but then it faded. I have to tell you something, Nim. It will explain why I have been so cruel to you. I regret it, and I would like to apologize for the pain I have caused you. Nim didn't know what to say. The apology was so unexpected and out of character that she froze, waiting for the trick. I, uh, yeah, I forgive you. Rhea's eyes were sad. Wait, she said softly. You may change your mind. She gestured to a wall and a panel of stone faded away. She motioned for Nim to step through. Quick, in here. Then I'll tell you everything. Nim stepped through and Rhea quickly followed. The stone reappeared, and they were plunged into darkness. And that's the end of chapter 33, book lovers. Thank you so much for listening to my book babble for this last year. I am looking forward to many more years of reading books and talking about them. <laughs> I am so grateful for all of you. If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast, it would be very appreciated and it would help other people find the show. Let's share the books and cats love. If you have suggestions for books, topics, or people I should interview from the book world, send me a message. I'd love to hear all about them. Make sure to come back next week for another special interview episode. And until then, keep reading.